It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question at 888-589-8840. That's 888-589-8840. You can also email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. You know, one of the first Bibles that I got as a young person had kind of an introduction, and these words were in that introduction. I love this statement about the Bible. It said, God for its author, truth for its content without any mixture of error. That's true. That is the Word of God. And this program is Exploring the Word. You're listening to the American Family Radio Network, and we're very honored that you are. And Exploring the Word is the show where we get into the Scriptures. And this is Fire Away Friday. Alex McFarland here, along with Bert Harper. And Bert, uh, you know, every day is special, but I love the days when we open up the phones and we devote... Uh, just the whole program to talking with people and taking Bible questions from around the country. It is exciting, and it's good to hear from people on the radio. It's good to hear from them by email, text, phone calls. Matter of fact, I want to share a phone call. You remember one day we were talking about uh, memorizing Scripture, and it helped you to stay away from sin, and I talked about being a part of the Bible Memory Association, and then a lady called in and wanted to know whatever happened. Well, I have found out. I've got a phone call. Those of you that were wondering about the Bible Memory Association, now they're Scripture Memory, and that's it. You, They have a website. You can go to uh, ScriptureMemory.com, and you can find out about it. And they do have a camp once a year, not like they used to, but they still have camps. But it, they have uh, ways for memorizing Scripture booklets, so I wanted to pass that on. I was so excited to hear about that. Well, and amen. Uh, it is. It is great. So scripturememory.com. Alex, Wonderful. that was it was. And so memorizing scripture. Let me ask you, I know you have a you do a great job at memorizing scripture. I have to work and work and work and but memorizing scripture has really been a blessing in your life, hasn't it, Alex? It it really has. And and I want to tell you how I worked on it and how it was taught to me when I was at Liberty University, and I had some great professors like Dr. Harold Wilmington, Dr. Elmer Towns, uh, Woodrow Kroll, many of you might have remembered Back to the Bible, and then his brother, Gerald Kroll, Dr. Jerry Kroll, well, they would have us put them on index cards, and I I would write them by hand because I, I felt like if I wrote by hand, I would... Mem- you know, come closer to remembering it. And, you know, Bert, I still have my big old thick deck of <laughs> three by five index cards. Yeah. And I, I still try. Now, we, when I was going to Liberty, they tried to get us to memorize a verse a week. And, uh, you know, this is 25 years ago, but they stayed with me. And, yeah. uh, they, you, do you call them your, I mean, when you memorize it and hide it in your heart and you read it, say, oh, it's one of my verses. You know, it, it becomes yeah, personal, and, especially. I agree with you. Write it down in your own handwriting, uh, yes. and it it really does work that way. So, did I, did I, you ever do index cards like that? I did. I did. Now, what they had with Bible memory, which is now Scripture memory, they had the cards already printed out. But guess what? I did. I did what you did. I'd write them out. Now I wrote them on paper, but I'd write them out. And uh, I had a professor in college that said a short pencils better than a long memory (laughs) and Uh and she would talk about writing and taking notes and i found that out to be true in my life and uh so it it really helps hey let's let's give that number it is 888-589-8840 we want to take your call alex and i love to hear from you and your Bible question will be, you know, as best we can do it with uh, accuracy, we will do it. Ever so often we'll say, listen, uh, there's people that disagree with this and uh, opinions about that, but we'll give you as good a biblical answer as we can, won't we, Alex? We really will. We really will. You know, I opened the, the show with a quote that I read in the front of a Bible 
And Bert, doesn't that phrase really say it? God for its author, truth for its content, without any mixture of error. Amen. I've always thought that was just a very uh, appropriate, you know, overview. And friend, that's why we're encouraging you to read the Bible because it is the Word of God. Jesus said, "Search the Scriptures; they testify of Me." We get a question a lot of times about how do I know God's will for my life? And Billy Graham once said, if you don't know God's word, you won't know God's will. Yep. You spend time in the word, and uh, that's why we have Exploring the Word. And so that's why we want to go to our phone calls. And we have a person already ready to go from Mississippi, and it is Doug. Doug, welcome to Exploring the Word. How y'all doing today? Doing well Good. today. I have a, just like to say I'm blessed every day I get to listen to y'all's show. Uh, my question is, who were the prophets that lay dead in the streets and then rose three days later? Where in the Bible is that? Okay, Doug. I think you'll find it in Revelation. Uh, let me see. Uh, Alex, uh, does it tell exactly who they are? Well, it doesn't tell exactly, but there's some there there's some leaning to though, right? <laughs> well, I know a lot of people think it's Moses and Elijah, you know. Yeah, right. But um, now this is during the tribulation. This is about midway through the tribulation, and uh, Moses and Elijah might be the two prophets that the minions of the Antichrist try to kill, you know. But um, you know, it doesn't say for sure, does it? It does not. And uh, the reason it leans to you have them at the Mount of Transfiguration. You have, again, the prophets. Uh, you have them doing great miracles, and that's what they were doing uh, before uh, the killing. And Elijah and Moses, the great miracles that Moses did at Pharaoh uh, combating the gods of Egypt, Elijah doing so many miracles. So, I think it leans to it. By the way, we got lines that are open if people want to call in. And uh, Alex, you got, okay, Can, Doug, we appreciate that question. It, well, and I was going to say, this is in Revelation chapter 11. Um, Revelation chapter 11. And, and it signals, it's what's sometimes called the end of the times of the Gentiles. And I mean, the, the, the world becomes so enslaved in darkness and under the regime of the Antichrist. But there's going to be these two witnesses, and they have power to shut the heavens so that it does not rain, and they have powers to turn the waters to blood. And if you read Revelation 11, 3 through 12, a lot of the reason that people um, think this might be Moses and Elijah is because the two witnesses do miracles very similar to the kind of miracles Moses and Elijah did. They get martyred by the Antichrist. They lay dead in the city of Jerusalem. But after three days, they come back to life, and they get uh, raptured up to heaven. And it says, great fear fell on people around the world. But that's a fascinating part of uh, prophecy, and I think that's going to happen at some future date during the Great Tribulation. I do as well. And matter of fact, they'll start giving each other gifts after they're slain. And mm. uh, it, it is um, something that happens. Let's go to Kansas and talk to Danny. Danny, welcome. Um, hello, guys. I always I enjoy you guys' show. I listen to it every day. Well, thank you for oh, listening, Danny. Yeah. Um, I am taking a perspectives class. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. It's a talks about world missions and study we're in right now is on the great commission and Jesus's mission. And they stated that the good news salvation was imperative to go out to the Hebrews or the Jews first, because they were on a timeline, a deadline rather. And I was never heard that before. And I was wondering what deadline they were talking about. Okay. Uh, let me just suggest this about missions classes. What an opportunity it is. Uh, my son, Nathan, that he helps co-host exploring missions that I do on the weekend, uh, taught missions at a ministry that people were going out. And, and the whole idea of, and perspective of missions is to carry out the Great Commission. 
timeline or deadline. The Jews on a deadline. Alex, uh, uh, now that may be presented in a different way, but putting it on a deadline, I, uh, you know, I'm not so sure I understand that exactly what the perspective would be. I understand the timeline of when, yeah. you know, the times of the Gentiles and then at the tribulation, the times in the 144,000 Jews. But do you know anything about the deadline? Well, you know, uh, Matthew twenty four fourteen, kind of the the deadline for the end of time, Jesus says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then the end shall come. Uh, the world is going to come to an end. Let me just say that the deadline for people to come to Christ is you must do it within this life. Because I, I want to be very clear uh, there is no second chance after death. Now, um, there, there's not any deadline that, uh, certainly not a deadline God is under. Um, I would say this, there is an urgency, personally and corporately, to participate in the Great Commission. But, you know, ultimately the times of this world are known only to God, really. And you know what? The, the timeline today is the day of salvation. You know, that's the whole idea. We are not promised of tomorrow. The book of James, it talks about the sin of presumption, you know, presuming you have tomorrow when you may never have tomorrow. So the time to get right, the time to do God's will is today, not any other time. Thank you, Danny. We've got time for this question, at least in this uh, segment, and it's from Alabama. Kim, welcome. Yeah, how you doing? I just want to get a little elaboration on. Now, don't get me. I'm not quoting. Actually, I can't do that right off. But Jesus said, you're either on fire for the Lord or you're stone cold. I won't take lukewarm. I will vomit you out. Can you elaborate on that and what he meant in that, like before, during, and after? Uh, thank you, man. I want to just tell you, lukewarm. Amen. Uh, Let me tell this, and then you take it away, Alex. I was in a conference one time as youth ministry, and uh, they said, from 1 to 10, where are you uh, on your love for the Lord Jesus Christ? He started. Most of us held up our hand at 5 and 6, and he said, well, you're making God sick. You're lukewarm. (laughs) And, man, hey, that's been 50 years ago, and I still remember it. Uh, God wants us to be hot for him, doesn't he? Well, he really does. And, you know, in, in Revelation 3, and by the way, Bert and I have had a, a great honor to do a series on Revelation, but it, there's letters to the seven churches. And in Revelation 3.16, there's a church that, uh, Bert, I don't know that I've ever seen a church named this, the church at Laodicea. And this is Jesus' uh, condemnation. Um, he says, I know thy works, that thou art neither hot nor cold. I, I wish you were hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. Uh, now, the implication is it was just nauseating. Look, be, be in or be out. Uh, Jesus said, whoever is not for me is against me. Uh, and so um, the lukewarmness that is, is sickening to God, really, are people that are going through the motions, but they don't really love Jesus. They're not, they're not committed. And what, so, yeah, what you don't want to be do, all in. You don't want to be lukewarm, or you don't want to lose your first love. Stay with Jesus. Hey, we'll be back right after the break. This is pause to pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for General David Berger, Commandant of the United States Marine Corps. General Berger advises the President and the National Security Council, while also serving as a member of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Psalm 7872 reminds us of the importance of strong leadership. With upright heart he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Right now with this in mind, let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask for guidance for General Berger as he leads the men and women of the United States Marine Corps. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Get your 2022 prayer guide and make this the year of prayer. 
Available now at pausetopray.org. Dr. Tony Evans says, while we all want God's blessings, we don't want to go through what it takes to receive them. He has a great illustration to share with us today as we spend two minutes with Tony. Have you ever been to a pizzeria? You see them cooking, fixing it from scratch, and they got this wad of dough, and then they begin to abuse it. Take it, slam it down, bam. Take a pin, be rolling all over it, just, just flattening it out. Then at them real pizzeria, they'll spin it on their finger, they'll be spinning the thing. I want the good stuff. I want the sausage and the pepperoni, yeah, and the bacon and the cheese. I want the real thing, I want the real thing. But you see, you can't get the real thing until the dough has been made ready to receive it. And the dough ain't ready until it's been reduced to dependency. God will let us get so low when we have been in rebellion against him that only he can fix it. There'll be no humans getting the credit. There'll be no program getting the credit. I am the God of resurrection. I'm going to bring you out of your grave. He says, and then you will know, I'm God, I did this. Because maybe when you get this low for this long and you find out it's only me, maybe you won't leave me next time. Maybe you won't abandon me next time. Maybe next time you won't kick me to the curb because you want to be accepted by the culture. Maybe next time when the culture wants to subvert you, you say, I ain't going there no more because I have been to the valley once and I don't want to go to the valley again. If you're ready to make a real commitment to the Lord, visit TonyEvans.org today and click on the link that says Jesus. You'll find lots of helpful information and free follow-up resources. Then join us next time for Two Minutes with Tony. Exploring the Word. Alex and Bert here. We're so honored that you're listening. It is Fire Away Friday. We're going to keep on taking the phone calls and do our best to discuss these wonderful Bible questions. The number, 888-589-8840. If you've never called, maybe you're a first-time caller, today's your day. We would love to hear from you. 888-589-8840. And we do have lines open, so get that call in. And let's go to Illinois and talk to Tim. Tim, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate that. Hey, I would like uh, to hear some comments on the topic of apologetics, and I'm especially interested in uh, apologetics that uh, come from the perspective of presuppositions and versus uh, apologetics that deal with evidences. Oh, so wow. Could you wow. just... Could you dip, quick give a little definition? Tim, that and is then, great. And you did call the right place with Alex McFarlane. But let me just say this, who in your preaching, those of you that are preaching and teaching, work out some of the apologetics in your sermons. You don't have to do the whole sermon on the evidence. But I just want to tell you, uh, those high school students that's going to college, they need to hear the truth of and Alex, I mean, you do this all the time, but uh, the evidence is there for God, for creation, for uh, salvation through Christ alone. The evidence is there, isn't it? Well, it, it really is. And, and by the way, I do love to speak with college students, and I'm so excited. Uh, at the end of March, I'm going to be at a college in Texas to speak. And then uh, in April, I'm going to be at East Tennessee State University, April 28th. So I've got two college events this spring, but um, thank you, sir, for listening. And apologetics, let, let's talk about that for a little bit, because the root word, uh, apology, it, it's not what you might think. Sometimes people think, well, I'm not going to apologize for being a Christian. I don't say, I'm sorry, I'm a Christian. No, really the word, it's an ancient legal word, and it means to speak in defense of something. In other words, apologetics really 
means to defend what you believe. So please don't think it means, you know, shrinking away. Oh, I'm sorry for being a Christian. No, not at all. It means that you're you're proactively defending the Christian faith. And of course, there are a lot of verses like Jude verse 3 that says we are to earnestly contend for the faith. 1 Peter 3.15, be ready to give an answer for what you believe. So there's a lot about defending the faith. And and Bert, I've often thought about if you read the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul, like Acts 9.22, Paul was forcefully saying, this Jesus who I preach to you is Christ. And Acts 17. But there are some different kind of apologetic approaches. Now, uh, evidential apologetics, as in evidence. And probably the most famous evidential apologist of, of the last 50 years has been Josh McDowell. He wrote that book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And Josh, uh, while Josh is an incredibly powerful thinker in his own right, he used a lot of things that that you know were like uh, Norm Geisler and C.S. Lewis. And Josh kind of built on some of the great work of, uh, there was a guy named E.J. Carnell, uh, but the caller had a question about presuppositional apologetics. Now, probably the most famous presuppositional apologist was a guy named Cornelius Van Til. Um, he was um, a, a Reformed Christian. In other words, um, Dutch Reformed thought, which expresses itself a lot in Presbyterian circles, Bert, um Without getting too deep in the weeds, let me say presuppositions are things that we assume to be true. And the the presuppositional school of thought doesn't so much talk about external evidences like history and archaeology, but it goes straight to things about what people assume. Now, uh, the presuppositionalism says, look, everybody knows there's a God. And one of the, one of the, I don't know, maybe you might say weaknesses some people have said is, well, but the atheist might not believe there's a God. Well, a presuppositionist says, no, you do. You know there's a God. Don't dodge the issue. You know there's a God. And I, I get that. But sometimes, Bert, I, I think that it is helpful to bring in logic and evidence. Yeah. Now, can I bring one more thing in about... Um, the kind of apologetics that I think is is maybe most helpful, and it's where we would put certainly J. Warner Wallace, who's a wonderful defender of the faith, Norm Geisler, and the late great R.C. Sproul. It's very interesting. R.C. Sproul was definitely Calvinistic Reformed, but he wasn't really a presuppositionalist. He was what he would call it a classical apologist, meaning logic, evidence, uh, discussion, and classical apologetics is sometimes also called um, eclectic. In other words, we we reason with people when that's kind of where they're at. We point to evidences when that's kind of where they're at. We talk about emotional, you know, like, if God loves me, why am I hurting? So, Bert, all of that to say this, I think in this day and age, when people are kind of all over the map about what they believe, and a lot of times people have very hard bias, and it's stuff they don't even really know what they're talking about. I think we have to patiently build relationship, listen, try to try to hear where people are really coming from with the help of the Holy Spirit, discern kind of where they're coming from, and then minister accordingly all with the goal of helping them understand Jesus. Amen. That is the purpose of apologetics. It's not to win the debate. It is to win the person. And I remember Dr. Adrian Rogers saying, you can win the debate, but if you're not careful, you'll lose the individual. And and so, I, Alex, that relationship, and do it with kindness as best you can, not harshness. Because it says, give an answer of your faith with meekness and fear. Uh, that sounds like humility and love. And so, uh, yeah. th- thank you, Tim. Great question today. And you I'm, did I'm call glad the- people are thinking about these I things. I am, too. Let's go to Tennessee and talk to David. David, welcome. 
it's good to be here. You bet, man, it is. <laughs> Go right ahead. For my question. Okay. If America, by uh, the Bible's definition, is an evil and adulterous nation, do you believe that we will see the sign of Jonah? Okay. The sign. It, it does say no. one sign to be given to you. Alex, what uh, Jonah's day, three days and three nights, uh, Jesus, we've already seen that sign, have we not? Uh, Jesus yeah, has yeah. already fulfilled that one, haven't we? Well, and and let me say thanks for your call. And um, if I if I kind of hear your heartbeat, I'm concerned for America too. But uh, Matthew twelve thirty nine, it doesn't really say an, a wicked and adulterous nation, but it says a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Well, Jesus fulfilled the sign of the prophet Jonah by rising from the dead, and you know prophets. They would foretell and forthtell, and Jonah did that. He he was in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, and he uh, survived that. Well, Jesus was in the grave three days and three nights and came out of the grave alive. Jonah, in a roundabout way, um, predicted and foretold the resurrection of Christ. Now, here here's my point. It is wicked and adulterous when a generation asks for a sign beyond the greatest sign that's ever been given, which is the resurrection of Jesus. You know, Bert, I've shared the gospel with people, and uh, you say, well, you know, Christ claimed to be God. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He rose from the dead. And they're like, well, okay, but for me to believe God needs to do something else additionally. He doesn't. I mean, if you will not accept the fact that God incarnate rose from the grave, you know, don't expect God to have to, you know, turn a cartwheel extra for you. Amen. You see what I'm saying, yeah. Burke? Alex, uh, I, matter of fact, I preached this Sunday at First Baptist Baldwin, Mississippi, where I'm interim, and I'll be preaching there Sunday at 930. We had some guests there from Arkansas, and it was so good to meet them. But Alex... The light that you're given, you must respond to that light. Uh, if, Amen. And, and the best illustration, like a flashlight. If you have a flashlight, it's only going to shine so far. But you have that much light. If you want to so show, uh, go further and see further, you have to walk in the light that's been given you. And yeah. so add that to that about Jonah and concerning the, the sign that's been given to us. And so let me just suggest all of you out there, respond to the light that you have, and uh, God will God will bring you along. That's amazing, Alex. He yeah. will. He wants to. He wants you to respond. It's not that he wants to stay hidden from you. He is revealing himself, and that's what it says in Hebrews. In these last days, he's revealed himself through his son. That is the greatest revelation. The greatest sign is the resurrection. David, thank you for your call. Let's go to Lottie in Texas. Lottie, welcome. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Yes. Um, my question is about the parable of the talents. And it always stuck out to me that he said, uh, I knew you to be a hard man. Um, and I was just wondering if you could talk about the significance of that. Okay. I have... <laughs> If you've preached 40, close to 50 years like I have, I guess you got a sermon just about on everything. But on this one, uh, this guy had some bad information, Alex. You know, uh, you know, he. I've heard you as a hard man. Well, God, hard doesn't describe him. He's a loving, caring God, but he's a just God. And uh, yes. saying that he's a hard man, uh, you know, I, I would say that not Jesus had bad information, but the man who was dealing with that, uh, saying, I hid my talents, you know, uh, I, he either had bad information or he had assumed something that was uh, untrue. You know, he assumed it to be true. Would you respond to that? Yeah, and thanks for the call. This is Matthew twenty-five twenty-four. You know, it's interesting. In the original language, the word is really stern or maybe rigid. Now, 
in in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, um, Aslan the lion represents Jesus, and the the, the Pavinzi children, um, Lucy. There's Susan, Lucy, Edmund, and Peter, and Lucy is this girl who just loves Aslan the lion, and she represents just the the Christian with a heart for Jesus. And somebody asked Lucy one time, as they're near the big lion who laid down his life to save the people of Narnia, very pictorial of the gospel, they said, um, is, he, is he safe? And she said, of course he's not safe, but he's good. Meaning that Aslan the lion, like the Lord, had all the power, and was very rigid and righteous in his judgment. And she said, he's not safe, but he's good. Now, in the Matthew 25, where the man goes, um, I know you're a hard man. Um, you're right, Bert. That, the guy in that parable had some misinformation and, and a, a skewed view of God. God is not hard in the sense of being mean or cruel, not at all. I would say this if I could use the original Greek word, the word stern, God, yeah, God is not going to flex. He's not a respecter of persons. God is so gracious, and he's, he's good, and he's very abundant with us. But you know what? Um, God doesn't wink at sin or shove anything under the rug. I think the, the right understanding of, of God's nature from that parable is that God is consistently righteous. Amen. Now, that should be a great comfort to us, but it also is a bit of a warning too, isn't it, Bert? It is. Now, here's I'm going to use two sports analogies. Have you ever heard concerning football, they moved the goalpost? Uh, yes. In other words, they moved it down the line. They changed the rules. No, God has not. The other one I would I would use is basketball. He God has not he does not lower the basketball from ten feet. So Bert Harper, who who is five ten and can't jump very well, could duck it. No, it stays at ten feet. And so God has that and you use the word stern, you know, rigid, uh, but not harsh. That's uh but when you read that it, he has the assumption of harshness. That does not describe our God. He is a caring, loving God, but he doesn't move the goalpost. He doesn't lower the goal, but he's made that goal and the doorpost, uh, goalpost through Jesus Christ accept, uh, accessible through him. And, and so, Alex, uh, he's a great, great God. Lottie, thank you for your good call. I'm telling you what, I'm going to go real quick. We won't have time to talk a lot about it. But we're going to Mary in Texas, and uh, I, I, I love your question, I think, Mary. Go right ahead. Got about a minute to ask it, and then we're going to answer it on the other side of the break. But go ahead. I thank you for taking my call. My question is, when did they start singing in church services and hymns, I mean? And my reason for doing this, because today I've been in church for 54 years, and Today's music, to me, is taking the place of the Word of God, and I cannot stand repetition. Sometimes I count it 34 times. My daughter was a music leader years ago, and she told the song leader, no more 10 repeats. Okay. Well, we're going to come back and talk about that on the other side of the break. You're listening to Exploring the Word. Bert and Alex here. And it's Fire Away Friday, so we're going to take more phone calls. So stay with us as we talk about the history of hymns in the church. AFR programming is now available on Alexa. You're joking, right? Nope, not joking. Seriously? Yep, this is not a drill. Wait a minute. No way. There's a way, the Alexa way. So if you just happen to miss your favorite shows, no worries. You can now listen to each podcast with Alexa. It's simple and it's free. Just visit AFR.net forward slash apps and click Alexa. We're not joking. 
your child's primary love language is physical touch or words of affirmation, quality time, gifts, or acts of service. On the next Focus on the Family, Dr. Gary Chapman helps you better understand how to keep your son or daughter's love tank filled to strengthen your relationship with your children. Next time on Focus on the Family with Jim Daly. Focus on the Family is heard each weekday morning at 5 o'clock Central on American Family Radio. By mercy and truth, iniquity is purged, and by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. We live in a day when churches are filled with people ready to hear and receive God's mercy. Unfortunately, however, it is often accompanied by a de-emphasis or concealment of the truth of God's Word. Paul, the salvation by grace through faith apostle, was asked, if salvation is solely a product of grace, what benefit then does the law provide? Paul responded, without the law, I wouldn't have known God's righteous standard and how far away from it I was. Any presentation of God's mercy, absent God's truth, is no gospel at all. Iniquity is purged by mercy and truth. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. This is Dr. Stephen Rummage with today's Moving Forward Minute. The Bible says in Psalm 16, verse 11, in God's presence is fullness of joy. A study several years ago of 12,000 interconnected people found this. Each happy friend a person has increases that person's probability of being happy by about 9%. But each unhappy friend you have decreases your likelihood of being happy by 7%. Hang out with happy people if you want to be happy. The Bible teaches us something even better. When you're living in a close relationship with Jesus, His joy will become your joy. Jesus' joy is contagious. So if you're living a joyless life today, get closer to Him. Spend time in His presence. Where Jesus is, there is fullness of joy. For more resources, visit movingforwardradio.org. Join me every Sunday morning at 8.30 Central for Moving Forward right here on AFR. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fire. We've all run to things we know just ain't right. And there's a better life. There's a better life. Welcome back to Exploring the Word. We're going to go right back to the calls in just a second, but uh, Alex and Bert here, so honored that you're listening. I do want to remind everybody that uh, you can listen to this show, and all the shows are archived at uh, AFR.net. Now, if you're on a computer, there's a station map. You can find a, a station near you from the American Family Radio Network. And uh, your mobile device, regardless of what kind of phone or mobile device you have, you can download the app and all of the incredible programming. And we are so thankful that the truth of God's Word and the biblical worldview is going out there, and there's news, there's uh, current events, there's Bible teaching, and so I would encourage you to check out AFR.net. I do want to say also that I'm going to be at the Cove, the Billy Graham Training Center in Western North Carolina, July 8 through 10. We'll be teaching the book of 1 Peter, and you know, Bert, I, I briefly alluded to apologetics earlier. If you want to do a deep dive and let's really learn some apologetics together. Join Angie and me and friends from all over North America at the Cove. Beautiful, beautiful in Western North Carolina. I'll be there July 8 through 10. Their website is thecove.org. Amen. And you will enjoy it, and you'll get to meet Alex and his much better half named Angie. He and I both have much better halves, <laughs> and so uh, that that's going to be great. Hey, Alex, hymns. Yeah. I will, yeah, let's talk about this. Do you know what? Uh, six weeks ago, we were singing one of the oldest hymns known to man, Adesti Fidelis, 1,600-year-old. You probably know it as, O Come All Ye Faithful. That's right. But she was asking, like, how long have we been singing hymns? Well, listen to this. Uh, Pliny was a Roman historian, and in 112 A.D., 
So this is 1,900 years ago. He said that, listen to this, the Christians rise a great while before day and sing hymns to Christ as unto God. That's amazing because there you've got, they're getting up before daylight, they're singing their musical worship and the deity of Christ. They, they were singing hymns, and Pliny was writing to a Roman governor named Trajan, and they were complaining about it. It's like, oh, there's that noise. Those Christians are getting up to sing hymns. You know, there, there's a famous hymn from Italy called O Splendor of God's Glory Bright from 390 A.D. So, I mean, 390 A.D., that's, you know, seven, almost 1,700 years ago. So, Bert... Um, worship in song has been part of the church from the very beginning. Let me just share with you, I can go back further than that, and that's Paul's writings in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 5, verse 19, speaking to one another in psalms and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to the God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus Christ. Now, if you read that, you'll find out that is a command. Now, the singing should supplement the Word of God being preached. Uh, it should be the Word of God set to some music. Alex, it really it can be a testimony. It can be a hymn. It can be doctrinal. Uh, it can be practical. And uh, we are a singing. And, and again, Mary, be careful about making your preferences convictions. I have mine. I'm not going to tell you all about them, but yeah, they do repeat, but, um, and maybe it's a little bit more than, than a lot of us want or like, uh, but guess what? While it's not maybe ministering to you, it is ministering to some people that may be different than you and I. Alex, uh, you know, uh, music is a vital part, but Listen, the day of it causing separation and distance, we, we need, we've got bigger fish to fry, I believe. Go ahead. Yeah, we really do. And, and Mary, I'm, I, not talk, I'm not talking down to you. I'm just saying, listen, I encourage you, but I, I have those preferences too, and I have to deal with them. Go ahead, Alex. Well, that's true. I, listen, I grew up singing Fanny Crosby, <laughs> leaning on the ever, everlasting arms and, you know, songs like that. And I do, I, when we, two or three times a year, we'll have family get-togethers and we'll get around the piano with the old Broadman hymnal. Bert, do you remember that? I remember the old Broadman hymnal. How about the Heavenly Highways? Oh, you know it. You know it. <laughs> and and I do love that. I really do. But you know what? As long as uh, the, the Lord is using the music to draw people and it's worshiping and exalting the Savior— um, let's let's not focus so much on the the style, because you know, hey, it as long as the upcoming generations are being reached, that's what matters. It's not about my personal preference, though I definitely have some. <laughs> I do. Hey, we've got a lot of folks on. We're going to try to answer as many as these as we can. Christy from Alabama, what's your question today, Christy? Good good afternoon. I am so glad to get on. And I just love y'all's program. And um, I had so many questions, but I tried to go to the first one. Go, okay. It has to to do with Jacob when he wrestled. And, you know, it was was strange to me. Um, He says, uh, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And, of course, the question, what is your name? And it was this a, what they call a theophany, where it's Jesus, or I don't know. I just wanted to know if that was an angel, or he said you've prevailed. And I'm thinking, if he's wrestling God, God would be mm. the winner. <laughs> uh, well, Christy, oh, thank yeah. you. Alex, go right ahead. We're going to try to get as many questions here as we can. So you go well, ahead. Well, he, he named that place uh, Peniel or Penuel, depending on if I'm pronouncing it correctly, meaning the face of God. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think it was a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Christ. What do you think? I do, as I do, and I agree. And there's something about knowing his name. Uh, having a name gives authority. Now, again, uh, if, if when I, I had three sons, 
And uh, if I said, hey, there, if they were all three together, they could keep on walking. But if I called one of their, one of them by name, that gave some, they knew who I was talking to. So he will know who this is. It gives you, and, and that's the authority or prevailing. God did give him his name, and that gave him uh, I, access, Alex might be the best word. Uh, mm-hmm. I, know, I know who to call on now. I got your name. And yeah. so that really makes a difference. Thank you, Christy, for a good question. Let's go to Deanna in Texas. Deanna, welcome. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. Just letting you know, several people in my Sunday school class, we are all vigilant listeners. Uh, and we've been studying <laughs> the steps you. of Jesus. Yeah. And we're on step 29. Well, we've passed step 29 now. But a few weeks ago, we kind of stayed on this lesson for a while. Our step 29 was Luke 8. 26 through 39, and that's the story of uh, where they crossed over the Sea of Galilee, and uh, the man that was uh, had the demons, and they, he said his name was Legion because the demons were many, and he sent the demons into the pigs, and they ran down and uh, into the Sea of Galilee. Um, so we all wondered what happened to the demons, because the demons didn't want to just be sent to the abyss, it says in Luke. So, but then... The pigs died, so we wonder what happened to the demons. Okay, great question. Alex, there was one man. He cleansed himself of the demons, and those demons wandered around uh, looking for a place to stop and to take a boat. Finding none, they came back to the man who was empty. He had not replaced the emptiness of the demons being gone with Christ, and they went back in. Uh, did those demons come out of those pigs and wander around for a while looking for another place? Well, I'm afraid that those demons are around somewhere because um, do you know what in Ephesians 6, uh, 10 through 11, you know, it's talking about putting on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against uh, principalities, but against powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against now... Ephesians 6, 12, spiritual wickedness in high places. And you know, some translations say spiritual wickedness in, quote, the regions of the air. Um, those de- When those pigs drown, those demons are in the air, out, working mischief somewhere else. And so, um, Bert, that's why we talk about the invisible battle that rages all around us, uh, spiritual warfare, because... Um, the fallen angels that, that fell with Lucifer, Satan and his demons, they're around looking not only for opportunity to do evil, but persons in whom they can do that evil. They are, and listen, spiritual warfare is, is real. Let me tell you, though, do not concentrate on the enemy, Satan. Concentrate on the Savior, Jesus he will equip you to deal with the enemy. Now, you're not to be ignorant of his devices. You're not to, not, but do not come so self-absorbed with that. Alex, it's dangerous. We, we gaze at Jesus, keeping your eyes on Jesus, who is the author and finish of our faith, and he will help us in this spiritual warfare. Thank you, Deanna, for that great question. Let's go to Mississippi and talk to Grady. Grady, welcome. Hello, this is Willie. Uh, I just wanted to know where y'all get that from about uh, God and Jesus incarnate. I like that word incarnate. I can't find it. Okay, well, it's not necessarily a word that you find in the Bible, but let me see. John chapter 1, verse 14. Read the whole uh, chapter of John. The word in the beginning was the word down in verse 14, and the word became what, Alex? Flesh. Flesh. That's incarnation, yeah. is it not? Yeah, uh, from the Latin word for flesh, carne, C-A-R-N-E. By the way, if you ever go to a, a Mexican restaurant, carne asada, you know, it's that's beef. But Philippians 2.6 also says that Jesus, though he was the, very, the form or the nature of God, um, did not think he had to grasp it, but humbled himself, took on the form of a servant. And so incarnate means that the second member of the Trinity, God the Son, took on a human body so he could come to this world and be our Savior. So Philippians 2, John 1, 
uh, help you yep. understand that, Grady. Thank you for your good call. Let's go to Virginia and talk to Bill. Bill, welcome. Hey. Um, Methuselah died in a particular year that was noted by the death of many others. Uh, I wonder if we know how Methuselah died. Did he die of old age or did he die with all the others? <laughs> I think uh, I, I think old Not age. Sixty-nine years. <laughs> yeah, I think old age had, had finally caught up with him. Alex, go ahead. Well, Bill, I love know, that question, man. Go ahead, Alex. That is, that is a really great, great is, question. Yeah. Bible says he lived to be 969 years old. You know, I wonder if Methuselah would have gone to the doctor for a physical and said, yeah, <laughs> I got arthritis. I got, the doctor says, look, arthritis is at least of your problems. You're 969 yeah. years old. It doesn't seem like Methuselah died in the flood. Uh, it, yeah. Because... It, 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 this is Genesis five, yeah, and you know that's that's quite a bit before the flood. It is, and so uh, if I was guessing, I'd say old age was a good guess, Bill. And I'm not, I am being funny. I I love the scriptures, I love them, and I love it when you find something in it that just you know helps you to enjoy it. And uh, I do enjoy that about Methuselah. Thank you, Bill. You've been a blessing today asking that. Let's go to Lahoe. Okay, here we go. Louisiana. Todd, welcome. Hey, brothers. Thank y'all for taking my call. Happy New Year to both of y'all. Yes, sir. Uh, God bless, bless y'all. You, yeah, God bless y'all. Um, I'm going to make it quick. Uh, in First Corinthians, you know, Paul talks about is Christ divided? And my question is, does he really, or, I mean, is he talking about the church and each denomination I mean, we believe in one Jesus. Why do we have so many denominations? Okay, let me. <clears throat> I I remember asking that question in college, and uh, Doctor James Travis, who I refer to quite a bit, Blue Mountain College, he said, "What is the option of denominations?" Now, this was years ago, Alex, and he said, "If you want to know the options of denominations, <clears throat> it's going to be a state church." In other words, the state uh, telling folks which church to go to, which part to be a part of. And he said, I know denominations can be confusing, but I'll take that over a state church any day. You catch his drift, what he was saying? Yeah, yeah, I, I really do. And by the way, thank you for listening. That This is a really great question. And in response to the 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 13, Paul asked the question, is Christ divided? And the answer, of course, is no, he's not. And because Jesus is not divided within himself, we, we Christians ought not be divided either. Let me just say this very quickly. Uh, there was a scholar from Boston University that I interviewed very early in my tenure with AFA, um, and he had written a book, and um, I, I don't know where he is spiritually. His name is Stephen Prothero brilliant academic, and he was talking about all these denominations and strata of Christianity, Catholic, Protestant, Orthodox, but he said, you know, amazingly, um, skeptics say Christians teach so many different things. He said, they really don't. He said, Christians teach an amazingly unified message that Jesus, the Son of God, died on the cross, he paid for our sins, we were unrighteous, he is righteous, and by our faith in what Jesus did on the cross, our sins are forgiven. And Stephen Prothero said, amazingly, sure, there are all these other ancillary things, when do you have communion and all that, he said, but the, the church worldwide teaches an amazingly singular message, Christ the Savior. Jesus alone, through faith alone, Alex. You know, yeah. it is Christ, and we make much of him. It's been great to talking to all of those who called in today. Thank you for calling. Read yeah. ahead. We'll be in Proverbs 22 uh, Monday. Alex, that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Amen. Folks, thank you so much for listening. I'm going to tell you something. We love you. We're praying for you. Tell somebody about Explore the Word. Most of all, tell somebody about Jesus. Jesus.